political bullshit. So if you ask any flag-waving patriot, what is it that makes America so great compared to the rest of the world? They'd almost certainly answer, well, freedom. Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. Freedom to drink beer and criticize the commies. Or they'll say the American dream, which is this implication that we all have the potential or, and the freedom to become billionaires, to be the next Jeff Bezos. Of course, that's not going to happen. Freedom of speech, religion, press, assembly, all those rights that are guaranteed by our Constitution, of course, they're wonderful. I mean, you could say that some of those rights have faced stress from our very own government, especially this very year, but that's a, that's a different conversation. The point is that while the framing of our government laid out by the Constitution does guarantee these rights that do ensure those freedoms, true freedom is more than just those fundamental rights on paper. Freedom is being free of any metaphorical ball and chain. And in America, these fundamental constitutional rights, I mean, they're great, don't get me wrong, but that and the, the American dream, the illusion of the American dream, blind us to other aspects of freedom and suppression. Our financial institutions, our healthcare system, our education system, criminal justice system, all these direct and indirect results of poorly regulated free market capitalism. You might say, well, but capitalism is freedom. It's called the free market. And regulations, on the other hand, are by definition restrictions on freedom. The actual definition of regulation is literally the state of being controlled. How can a system centered around the very idea of an abundance of freedom and rejecting government control result in less freedom? How can you say that? Well, the answer is quite simple. The sliding scale of government involvement is not parallel to the sliding scale of freedom. And what I mean by that is the scale of government involvement doesn't have freedom on one end where you have no government and suppression on the other where you have more government. If that were the case, if less government always meant more personal freedom and freedom's good, why wouldn't we just choose to live in a world with zero government in our natural state of total anarchy? And you might say, well, I didn't choose to live under government. I was born into this system. I have no choice. And yeah, that's true, but that's not the point. Governments have been around for over 6,000 years, probably longer. If more government is bad and less government is good, why would we have government to the degree that we do today? Did we just not figure it out yet? I mean, why would we have any? Are we just okay with having a little bit of bad just for the heck of it? Just for funsies and something to do? Of course not. It's because people clearly understand that they wouldn't actually be more free in a natural state of total anarchy. So how do we approach this relationship between government involvement and personal freedom? Well, this is the question that plagued much of early philosophy. Why government is favorable in the first place to the natural state and which form of government is best for the people? So that first question is quite simple, actually. Some level of government is favorable to anarchy because we actually become more free with government to a degree. So going back to that scale, the scale of government involvement, it doesn't have freedom on one end and as you move toward more government suppression on the other. The reality is this scale has suppression on both sides. So why is this? It's because we're trading natural suppression for formal suppression. Our, our natural state comes with so much natural suppression that that trade-off equals a net positive for the general population. And so this argument around which type of government is best, that's often an argument of finding the sweet spot with the fewest amount of both natural and formal suppression, which would be, you know, the best result for the general population of that state. So 
what are these restrictions of natural suppression that I'm talking about? When we're in a uh, you know a totally natural state with zero government involvement, it may seem like you're free, but we're really not free at all because we have no guaranteed or protected rights like we do living in a governed society. And this concept is actually pretty obvious if you think about it. If you go back to that first question that I asked, what would most flag-waving patriots consider to be the, the best thing about living in America? They would answer freedom of speech, freedom of religion, these protected freedoms that we enjoy thoroughly because they're guaranteed by our government. Freedoms that we wouldn't have if they weren't protected and enforced by our government. And you could say, well, yeah, but that's to protect us from persecution from the government. And yeah, that's true, but that is only one aspect of those rights. In our natural state, with zero government, you have no protection of those or any rights. So you're hardly free. You're ultimately a subordinate to anybody that's stronger than you. Anybody who uh, whose capability of taking what you have exceeds your capability of keeping what you have. You know, if it's just brute strength, if it's cunning, if they have a bigger weapon, sheer numbers, if they're in a group, there's nothing protecting you. You're not free from those people. And that's just as bad as living under despotic totalitarian state. You're at the mercy of anybody with more power than you or, or anybody with the means to garner more power than you. So now you introduce government into that equation. Now, to its core, government is a mutual contract where you say, hey, I promise not to act as a predator toward others if they all promise not to act as a predator toward me. And just in case, you know, somebody gets out of hand and they, they try something, if somebody tries to steal my boat or something, I agree to allow you, the government, to have a monopoly on violence to enforce these rules to make sure nobody messes with me. So if anybody steps out of line, they threaten me or my property, their act of predation is going to be compromised as soon as possible and justice will be served. That's what we agree on. And then this trade-off of natural suppression for formal suppression amounts to a net positive gain of freedom for the general population. And so it's in this way that regulation increases freedom. And that's not to say all regulations. You know, that would be just as foolish as saying all regulations decrease freedom. But you can see that personal freedom is not at all parallel to government involvement. That's the whole point of this. Like, I understand that this is weight stripping it down, but it's the thorough understanding of this premise at its most basic level that helps you understand how it applies to modern day government and modern economics. And then this, this false logic behind the idea that continually opting for decreasing government involvement is actually more liberating. It's not true. So, so far what I've described is basically just law and order. And you could say, well, free market capitalism doesn't hinder law and order. So what's the issue here? The thing is, this premise isn't strictly tied to law and order. That's just it at its most basic fundamental level. This relationship between government involvement and personal freedom is applicable to all basic necessities. Law and order is just one of them. So the way I think of it is any good or service that's inelastic in demand. So that means any good or service, you know, whether healthcare, law enforcement, fire departments, prisons, anything where the demand is less governed by price and more by necessity. So think about it this way. If you get sent to the ER and you need a life-saving surgery all of a sudden, or let's say there's, there's a pandemic going on. Let's say you catch COVID and you get really sick and you need a ventilator. What's driving you to that service? What's driving you to the need for the, the surgery or the ventilator? It's necessity. You're going to purchase that service out of necessity. Pricing is essentially irrelevant when you actually need those services. I mean, that's because they're inelastic. There's no leeway. You either accept that surgery or that treatment 
or you suffer great consequences or probably die. So in an unregulated free market economy that's driven by profit motive, a lack of adequate regulation for these inelastic services allows for exploiting of the general population because they have all the leverage in that situation. And that moves you back toward the direction of natural suppression. These are instances of government involvement that would increase freedom, just as it does with law and order. But unfortunately, you have half the population, including the majority of our, our politicians, arguing the total opposite. So this natural suppression that we're facing today that I keep talking about, it's not brute strength anymore, but it's comparable to that. It's the modern version of that. It's what determines your status, your power over others in the modern world. Money just as a lack of government involvement when it comes to law and order would decrease our personal levels of freedom through allowing others to use their brute strength against us, a lack of government involvement when it comes to modern-day power, money, also decreases our freedom. And when I say government involvement, I mean economic regulations. Without an adequate minimum wage, without adequate labor laws and corporate regulations, the people that have entered this contract to be protected from these natural suppressions are currently being suppressed by modern-day power, money. What's the point in continuing this contract if they're not going to hold up their end of the deal? And this suppressing is being done by those that are hoarding all of the capital. The top 1% in this country earn more than the bottom 50%. And that kind of statement is, it's heard all the time, and people just dismiss it now. And say, well, just because they have a lot of money and they're successful doesn't mean that they're evil people. People have the right to earn money. You know, just because they earn a lot of money doesn't mean it's being taken from those that are poorer than them. And that's right. It isn't being taken from the poor because you can't take something from somebody if you never gave it to them in the first place. They aren't stealing from the poor. They're creating the poor. They're suppressing the poor. They're sustaining the poor. Income is controlled by those hoarding the wealth. Wealth is essentially the modern day version of natural power and they're able to wield that power to control our state of being. Those with the power can use the power to remain in power. That is precisely what the government is supposed to protect us from. That's why we entered that contract, the protection that justifies government in its most basic form. Because if it doesn't do that, we lose our freedom. And the point of government becomes negligible, and we're back to a state of suppression. And that's where we find ourselves heading toward right now. A democratic constitutional republic that considers money free speech and legally allows politicians to be bought and corporations to attach money to political agendas is hardly different from any authoritarian state. Yet that's exactly where we are right now. That's exactly where inadequate government intervention gets us in a capitalist economy. So back to the real life example of the top 1% earning uh, more than the bottom 50%. This is a direct result of a lack of government involvement that's allowed the top 1% to essentially take $50 trillion from the bottom 90%. And as the New York Times points out, that makes the U.S. less secure. We're less free because the vast majority of American citizens are chained down by financial insecurity. The lower half of the American workforce right now earns an average of $18,000 a year. A living wage in the U.S., is $34,400 per year. More than 54% of American workers earn less than what's considered a living wage in the United States, the greatest country in the world. These people are not free. That's not a sign of freedom. The majority of American people are not free if they're chronically financially insecure.
They're living paycheck to paycheck, beholden to any financial burden that comes their way. 40% of American adults said they couldn't afford a $400 emergency. $400. You think that's not, that's not very much. That happens all the time. That's going to happen. If they can't afford that, they're not free. This is caused by unregulated capitalism where profit takes precedence over human beings. Government is there to blunt these acts of natural suppression, and they're not doing their job. Failure to do that is a fundamental failure of government, and that's exactly what we're seeing right now with the current state of capitalism in the United States. We have food lines that are miles long. Is that a sign of freedom? That doesn't look like freedom. We're ranked third in the world for most medical bankruptcies per year. We're only behind China and India because they have over a billion more people than we do each. Does the lack of government intervention with our healthcare system look like it's leading to increased freedom? Of course not. It's stripping us of our freedom. It's allowing natural suppression to take root with no consequence. And ironically, it's done in the name of freedom for the free market, laissez-faire. The Affordable Care Act, which was viewed as excessive government control over our health care, that reduced medical bankruptcies from over 1.5 million in 2010 to 770,000 in 2016. That was an increase in our freedom. But now the Trump administration has rolled back the Affordable Care Act so that government intervention could be decreased and so people could be more free. And now 50% of all U.S. adults have stated that they're actually concerned about medical bankruptcy because of something that's largely out of their control. It's an inelastic demand for a necessary service, and it's being supplied with profit motive in mind. Free market doesn't mean freedom for you and I. It means freedom to exploit those in need. So now how did this happen? How do we find ourselves in this position where half of our population and most of those that we elect in our government are essentially rooting for our own suppression? Well, we actually were on the right track at one point in time. Back in the 30s and 40s, we were uh, actually trying to prevent these negative effects of capitalism with um, FDR implementing programs that were actually intended to help the people, welfare programs, social safety nets. And it's because FDR was more pragmatic. He understood that these weren't there to replace capitalism. They were there to save capitalism. By implementing these anti-capitalist programs, social security, minimum wage, unemployment benefits, all things that increased government intervention, FDR saved capitalism. And that's not a bad thing. Capitalism has its place in an economy. It's just not the entire economy. And FDR recognized the pitfalls of capitalism that, and, and how they actually reverse progress of freedom by leading us back toward that state of natural suppression. And so by increasing regulations and government intervention through welfare programs and the New Deal, he was starting the process of correcting these negative aspects of capitalism. Because just as unfettered socialism wouldn't yield great results, unfettered capitalism doesn't either. You know, beginning this healthier mix of the two is much more likely to produce the best results and the most freedom for the general population. You know, capitalism it isn't inherently evil. But there are aspects of it that definitely are. You know, just as you would say, people aren't inherently evil, but obviously people or evil people do exist and we need to lock those people up. We need to control those people just as we need to control the evil aspects of capitalism through regulations. That's not a bad thing. And FDR's policies were obviously successful. They pulled us out of the Great Depression. He had one of the highest presidential approval ratings. He was elected four times because he increased our personal freedoms through careful and intelligent government involvement but then just as quickly as we got on the right track we veered right off 
with the Cold War and the rise of you know communism in the Soviet Union came this battle against communism. And America just took that as an opportunity to solidify itself as this proudly capitalist state defined by our capitalism as much as anything else. Another primary reason for the development of citizenship responsibility is that we are living in an era marked by the growth of socialism. To a substantial degree, in one form or another, socialism has spread the shadow of human regimentation over most of the nations of the earth. And the shadow is encroaching upon our own liberty. A third major reason for accepting our citizenship responsibilities and working at them is the presence within America of socialists and communist propagandists dedicated to the establishment of a new order. The communist fifth columnists among us are working for world dictatorship. To accomplish this, their strategy is to undermine the confidence of our people in the American system and the principles on which it stands. The socialists among us seek to bring about a gradual change in our system by gradually destroying the principle of the private ownership of property and substituting the socialist principle of government ownership. We know that under the stars and stripes we have more freedom than do civilized people on earth. Our nation, although containing only 6% of the land area and 7% of the population of the world, produces 42% of the world's wealth. We know that the average American in all walks of life has a living standard twice as high as the best in Europe, where socialism is widespread, and from five to ten times better than in the communist countries, such as Russia and China. And if we remember our previous lessons, we know that this economic abundance is possible in America because incentives for progress and the other factors built into our dynamic private enterprise system have enabled us to utilize our resources to the fullest extent. The world is caught in an era of socialist expansion. Most of the nations are affected. And America is a target. In fact, the number one target of both the socialist and the communist. What about our economic structure? Our economic system is based on three major principles. Private ownership of property, the profit motive, and the competitive open market. Yes, those are the three great pillars. But now let us go on to additional obligations of American citizenship. Number two, to understand communism, its basic godless philosophy, its goal of world conquest, its insidious tactics, and its cunning strategy. Number three on our list of obligations is to understand socialism and all the cunning disguises in which it presents itself to the American people. The socialists, the communists, and their followers would like to see the American spirit extinguished. This push of anti-communism, especially when it was fueled by McCarthyism, drove fear into the people that these social programs that were, you know, starting with FDR, were aspects of the very thing that was seen as a threat to our freedom, a threat to our democracy. And then you had attention and funds being overwhelmed by, you know, the Cold War and hot wars. And progress on the social programs was essentially halted and they were strongly opposed at that point. You know, the more we could emphasize capitalism in our economy, the freer the market, the bigger the fuck you to communism. So it became this thing of pride and patriotism and fear. 
and communism became linked to totalitarianism and suppression and capitalism with freedom and democracy. And once capitalism became linked to democracy, it's basically game over. So now, and of course, I'll, I acknowledge that we're freer than a totalitarian communist state of the Soviet Union, but it was hardly a comparison back then. And that doesn't mean that the conclusion linking communism to suppression and capitalism to democracy is indefinitely valid. That's essentially what created that scale of government involvement with uh, suppression on one side and freedom on the other. And that's not the way it works. You know, people think free market capitalism and they think, I'm free to be a billionaire. I'm free to start the next Amazon. I'm free to kick ass. But the American dream is largely an illusion that's pushed to continue this ideology that's based on fear and patriotism and anti-communism. It's there with the intention to keep us blind to the fact that we're just being exploited by those with the power by telling us one day you could be the one exploiting others with the power. But it's not the way it works in a free market economy. Those with the power are able to keep their power. It's easier for them to keep the power and gain more power, gain more capital. Those on the bottom are actively being suppressed through inadequate distribution of capital in a free market economy. In the last five decades, productivity has gone up over 100%. And CEO has gone up 1,007%, while worker wages have only gone up 12%. The negotiating leverage falls in the hands of the one with the power which is rarely the worker. If it was the worker, do you think that worker wages would have risen 12% and CEO wages would have risen over 1,000% when productivity has risen 10 times more than worker pay? We cooperate with our government because it can provide the leverage to prevent this exploiting. Yet half the population is screaming about how their rights and their freedoms are being taken away when we ask for common sense regulations to be put in place to protect us from these factors of natural suppression. Free market capitalism is good for a lot of things. It can make great cars and sick shoes. Actually, Yeezys suck. But when demand is not requested, it's needed. Profit motive has no place in that equation. We need government intervention to prevent exploitation of the people from, the, from profit motive in these situations. Capitalism can equal freedom, but it doesn't unequivocally equal freedom. It can amount to suppression if it's not regulated in the right areas in the right ways. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the United States today. And it's getting worse. We need to stop this oversimplified way of thinking about government involvement. We need to drop our patriotic pride and untether capitalism from democracy. And maybe we can enjoy the freedom we claim to have in abundance once and for all.